Before we start today's episode, I wish to acknowledge that this podcast has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. I pay my deepest respect to Elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. I acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region, and consider myself incredibly lucky to live, work, and raise a family on Ghana land. everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host, Kate Helmore. Each week we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Truth About Aging podcast. My name is Kate and today we're going to be looking at advanced care planning. I thought I'd start off today with a little bit of a life update because it very much links in with why this is the topic of today's episode. So on the 28th of October, 2023, my grandma passed away. Uh, This is my grandma on my dad's side. Um, For those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while, I've had my grandma on my mum's side on the podcast a number of times. She is still kicking along quite well. (laughs) She's doing good. But this is my grandma on my dad's side. And she passed away whilst in residential care. She had been quite unwell for a number of years. And to be honest, there were a few times that we thought we might lose her. So whilst it didn't come as a shock when she became palliative, it also is just a big adjustment. I think it is, you can kind of mentally prepare yourself for something like that. But seeing it actually play out and all the things that happen after that is not always exactly as you'd expect. I think for me, I was incredibly lucky and I I mean lucky. I know in the newsletter, I wrote how privileged I felt to be there as she passed away. So it just happened to be the time that I came up there. She had been um, palliative for a few days at that point on subcut pain meds that she was, you know, but we, we all knew exactly where it was heading. When I arrived, she certainly wasn't communicating. She was there with her eyes closed and really quite peaceful. We sat around as a family. It was, um, my grandpa was there, my dad, my auntie, and my uncle. So her husband and her three kids and myself. And we all just kind of chatted, checked in with each other. We'd bring her into the conversation every now and then as we could and had a chat about how things had been going. And then it just became evident that her breathing kind of changed and kind of dropped a level. And we all kind of knew what that meant and gathered around a little closer. And it just was such an incredible privilege and such a beautiful thing to witness and that might come across as a little bit odd um, particularly if you haven't been there as someone's died before it might feel quite morbid to say that it's a beautiful thing to witness but I think there are so many incredible parallels between birth and death and there's something really sacred about that space 
I'm not a religious person, but I do feel that it's quite um, almost spiritual. It just, I don't think it's by coincidence that her three children and her husband were all there when they hadn't necessarily been there the whole time, all of them together. I also don't think it's coincidence that she was kind of fighting it there for the last probably 10 minutes or so. She was really hanging in and fighting. And within about 30 seconds of us saying to her, it's okay, you can let go, she did. And I think that's really special. I think that's incredibly special. I firmly believe (laughs) that people know that you're there when they're dying They know who's there. They feel your presence and they hear those words. And whilst this is the first person I've been with as they actually died, I have heard many, many similar stories in my time and been there often close before or after someone's passed away as well. And it's not an uncommon experience. So it really was incredibly special It felt like a massive privilege to be there. And I also don't take for granted how lucky we are that she was pain-free and very relaxed and there was nothing distressing or, or traumatizing about it. It really just was a beautiful, calm, safe space. And yeah, I just, it was, I felt incredibly privileged to be there. But so that is a a large part of what's been going on with me. And it's also what kind of got me reflecting on just how many decisions there are to make around that time. Not only are there decisions after they've passed away in terms of which funeral home would you like? How long would you like to stay with the body? Where would they like to have a service? Do they want to be buried or cremated? Who do they want to speak at the service? There's, There's lots of questions once they've died, but there's also so many questions and values and wishes before someone passes as well. What do they want that environment to be like? How do they want to be presented? Do they want their family there when they pass? Do they want particular things in the room like aromatherapy or candles or fresh flowers? There's so many things that can be tailored to an individual person's wishes at that time. And I think it can be easy to just assume that things will work out at that time. And often they do, I should say. Without any of this documented, people do find a way through it. I think what I find through seeing this in practice time and time again is by documenting your wishes and having a really clear plan of how you want those things to occur, you take that decision-making off your family and ease some of that stress at a time that's already pretty chaotic and emotion-filled. I think when documents are done really well, it gives a roadmap for people to follow. I would like this, then I would like this. I would like to avoid this, and if possible, this. So that then not every decision is having to be made by your substitute decision-maker or anyone that is nominated along that journey. It really helps clarify your wishes in a way that kind of helps ease the load for everybody. So that's why the kind of theme of this month is around advanced care planning. In today's episode, I wanted to talk you through three key documents and their purposes around this time. 
And in next fortnight's episode, I'll dive more into advanced care directives specifically. I'm incredibly passionate about advanced care directives. Uh, I actually did a speech at a, a law firm the other week and really hammered home the importance of advanced care directives and how they can actually be implemented in practice, that when they're done well, what it means for us professionals on the other end of that. Now, I have done an episode before about what happens when you don't have those documents. Um, That's back at episode 52 with lovely Tamara. We talk a little bit about capacity and how that's determined, about who can be a substitute decision maker, what the public trustee, office of the public advocate, and the civil and administrative tribunals are. There's a lot of information in there about what can happen if you don't have these documents. So if you want to go back to that one and listen, feel free to. Today, we'll really be covering, I guess, more proactively what the documents are and how you can be setting those up for yourself. So the three documents we're going to be covering today are firstly, a will, secondly, enduring power of attorney, and thirdly, advanced care directives. So I think it's really important to say at the top here, I'm going to talk a lot about an advanced care directive, and that's what it's called in SA. So these documents have slightly different names in different states. I believe in Victoria, it's also an advanced care directive. Queensland has slightly different ones. So do WA. If you're not sure about your equivalent within your state, the best place to go is advancedcareplanning.org.au. They have a full list of state by state, what your documents are and how to complete them. So Just take that. Anytime I say advanced care directive, I'm essentially looking at what the version or equivalent of that is within your state. I thought I'd flag at the top two. I'm obviously not a legal professional. I'm not a solicitor. I don't complete these documents for people or sign off on them. I do come at it from a social work background and I know the importance of these documents and the role they play for people as they age. So I'll be talking, I guess, more practically about what they are, what purpose they serve, how you set them up, but it's not, I don't want any of this to be considered, I guess, legal advice at all. And I will um, give some information throughout about different legal services that you can access um, free of charge and those that you can pay for. So there's different ways of kind of going through with these. But so firstly, wills. So a will is essentially a legal document with instructions for who you want to inherit your estate, care for your children, and be the executor of your estate. So basically that means who's getting your things when you die, who's looking after your children, and who is the person that you want to, I guess, take charge or make decisions on those things after you've died. So wills are completed. They need to be in writing. They have to be signed by you and two witnesses over 18. They have to detail the distribution of your estate and name an executor. So most commonly these documents are completed with a solicitor. So using a legal professional, make sure that it is all done correctly, that it is legal, and it minimizes the risk of a will being contested. Because essentially they've they've done it in a way that is very clear and wrapped up in a nice little neat bow for you. Now you can prepare wills yourself. <laughs> they do still need to be signed off. It's not the recommended way of doing it. However, I would say probably one of the better ways of doing that, a public trustee can prepare wills for people who are eligible. And then often each state will have free legal advice that you can access. So in SA, we have the Legal Services Commission and they provide free information on legal advice and wills. So they can be a really handy one to go to if 
you know, you're, you don't have the funding to do something like that on your own, but you really want to make sure that it's set up correctly. So Legal Services Commission, if you happen to be an SA, is 1300-366-424. They do, for the record, also just provide free legal advice. So if there is legal advice that you're seeking and you don't have the money to go to a solicitor yourself, Legal Services Commission is fantastic for that. As I said, I'm not familiar with the ones in other states, but there will be state-based free legal services as well. So that's more or less a will. Now, wills are not typically interacted with much by aged care providers. They're not going to ask for copies of your will. They don't really need to know who's in it, what it looks like, any of those details, because it doesn't pertain to your care or services. So most commonly, the will just sits with you. You normally, I guess, have a family member or your executor would have a copy of it so that they know what to do. Uh, But your aged care provider doesn't really have much to do with your will. Second one, enduring power of attorney. So this is a legal document which allows you to appoint an attorney to make decisions about your financial and legal matters. Now worth highlighting that because when we get to advanced care directives, it's on slightly different things. But so this is your finances and your legal affairs. Now these forms do look a little bit different state to state. So again, I'd go really clear on your state-based organizations and making sure you're getting the one that's right for you. Again, these can be done with an attorney. If that's cost prohibitive and you can't do that, you can purchase an Enduring Power of Attorney kit from, again, in SA, it's Legal Services Commission or Services SA, Um, but interstate, there'll be places that you can purchase that from too, or most of the time, the document's available to download online. Your Enduring Power of Attorney does require witnessing by a JP, sorry, a Justice of the Peace or a solicitor, so you can't just complete it and not have it signed. There's been some really interesting studies looking into all of these different documents and how often they're not actually adequately completed. Really important to make sure that you're getting them signed off correctly, that they're being reviewed and that they are they are done accurately because <laughs> otherwise they can be contested and that's not really what you want to be happening. So whilst wills are activated after you've died because they involve inheriting estates and looking after your children and someone executing that, Power of attorneys and advanced care directives are a little bit different. So essentially for an enduring power of attorney or an advanced care directive to come into play, you need to be deemed to no longer have capacity. Now, what does capacity mean? It's worth noting from the get-go, this is not a black and white term. There's not a particular test that you sit or a score that you need to get for you to be determined to no longer have capacity. Also worth noting, capacity can fluctuate. Someone might not have capacity for a period of time, for example, maybe soon after a stroke, but they might get back to a position where they are deemed to have capacity again. You also might have capacity around some decisions. You might be very clear on your own healthcare wishes and where you want to live, but you might struggle with more complex matters around finances and legal affairs. So, I guess that's somewhat an unhelpful way, but also probably the most accurate way of representing capacity can be quite varied when it comes into play and when it doesn't. Some of the main things about implementing a power of attorney or an advanced care directive would be if you can no longer understand information about the decision, if you cannot understand and appreciate the risks and benefits of the choices, if you cannot remember the information for a short time, 
And if you cannot tell someone what the decision is and why you have made that decision. So there are some of the things that people will look at in determining capacity. Now, if a solicitor is looking at that, they will kind of, I guess, constantly be somewhat assessing where you're at and whether you have capacity or not. There are some red flags that might come up where they might need to look further into your capacity. And at some stages, people will request a full capacity assessment from your GP, which normally then goes through to a geriatrician or a neuropsychologist. But essentially, when you still have the ability to communicate what your wishes are and you are of sound mind, then you can decide what happens. The point of an enduring power of attorney and an advanced care directive is that there's something there documenting your wishes for when you can no longer do so. So this is really a way of capturing exactly what you want and exactly what's important to you so that if you you have dementia that progresses to a point where you can no longer make decisions, if you're in a car accident and then in a coma, if you have a stroke and can't communicate for a period of time, There are a number of different reasons why these could happen, but having your wishes clearly documented means that in those situations, there's a way of somebody enacting what you want. So when it comes to aged care services, interacting with an enduring power of attorney, we do often ask for these upfront from people because it's really important to have that information there, either if they have already lost capacity, but particularly as things can change quite quickly for people, it's helpful for aged care providers to have that information on hand. It means that if there is a situation where you can't communicate your needs, we have a person to go to to ask those questions, that you have somebody set up as your attorney so that we're not left guessing about what you might want or who needs to make that decision. It's particularly helpful, I guess, in the realm of accommodation or maybe even home care packages with fees or services related to fees, any of those financial elements of your care. If you're no longer able to communicate regarding that or don't have capacity, aged care providers can liaise with your attorney to make sure that they're aware of the costs, the risks, and they can make a decision on your behalf if needed. Lastly, moving on to advanced care directives. And as I said, I will be doing a next fortnight's episode on this topic in depth because I am all about very high detail advanced care directives. So an advanced care directive is a legal document which allows you to appoint a substitute decision maker and document wishes for your future health care, end of life, preferred living arrangements and other personal matters. So your power of attorney is finances and legal. Your advanced care directive is your health care, end of life wishes, so your palliative care, where you're living and other personal matters. So that's how those two kind of decision makers are set up differently. You have an attorney looking after your finances and legal, and you have a substitute decision maker who can look after your health care, living arrangements, palliative care and other personal matters. Now, for a lot of people, that might be the same person. For some people, it might be different people. There's many, many different ways that you can set these up. So your advanced care directive, I did want to highlight if you had an existing enduring power of guardianship, medical power of attorney, or anticipatory direction documents, they are superseded by an advanced care directive if you do one. Essentially, they reformed how it was all set up in 2014. Advanced care directives were brought in and they took over the enduring power of guardianship, medical power of attorney, 
and anticipatory directions. So that was all kind of amalgamated. So anytime you do an advanced care directive, it supersedes any of those prior documents. If you still have the old ones, all good. They still exist. You can still use them. But the advanced care directive probably has a greater level of detail and is much more widely recognized now as the one source of truth when it comes to those areas of decision-making. Now, your advanced care directive, similarly to the power of attorneys, there are, uh, I guess, kits that are set up to be able to complete these. I would suggest if you are tech savvy enough, just Googling it for your state because they are set up a little bit differently state to state. There's often a downloadable document or like a PDF that you can fill out online or it can refer you to where to get one. I think you can even purchase them online and they'll send you out a hard copy as well. There's fantastic reference documents that go alongside them that give examples of how they should be completed. And again, more on this next fortnight. In next fortnight's episode, I'll go into in greater detail the kind of questions that are included in an advanced care directive, because they're a lot more values-based than, say, your enduring power of attorney, which more or less just nominates someone and might have a few details in there about what they are to do. There's a lot of values-based statements and your wishes recorded in the advanced care directive. So we'll go through that in detail next fortnight around what that looks like and how to complete them in the best way possible. But for now, I guess as a summary, your three key documents are your will, enduring power of attorney, and advanced care directive. Those three documents are really quite imperative to ensuring that as you are no longer able to communicate your needs or wishes or after you die, that those wishes are, I guess, put together in a way that is not only legally binding, but ensures that it captures all those key things that are important to you and make sure that your wishes are carried through with when you can no longer do that yourself. So that is all for today's episode. I will dive into the rest of that stuff next week. As always, you can find me at www.navigateagecare.com.au. If you're not part of the newsletter, feel free to head to the newsletter tab and sign up there if you would like to receive the monthly newsletter. Um, You can also kind of read ahead on some of the things that we'll be talking about next fortnight. But I think for now, that's probably it. I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day, week, month, wherever you are, and I will be in your ears again in a fortnight. Bye.